The reading this morning is from Mark chapter 7. If you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, I'll begin reading in verse 1 and read the chapter in its entirety. Verse 1 through 37. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear... Let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the, mouth, out of the man that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. 
And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. And he again went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak." As we come again this morning to the gospel according to Mark, what a privilege the Lord has afforded us to come and to look and to see, to walk with, to watch the life of our Lord. The gospel accounts are, are really remarkable when we consider that it, we are hearing from these men who spent the better part of three years walking alongside this man and watching him and listening to him teach and being affected themselves by the reality of his teaching and witnessing the miracles happen and taking part in them in many ways as well. What we see here in in the text this morning, it would be easy for us to, to be distracted by some of the dramatic aspects um, of the text, particularly with the Syrophoenician woman and the gentleman who was deaf and nearly mute. When we think about this passage, it, that, that's where our mind runs with, with these people, but the goal is not for us to become really all that acquainted with the Syrophoenician woman or her demon-possessed daughter or the deaf man who was almost mute or spoke with difficulty or from his friends who brought him to Jesus. Though there are many lessons that we can learn from these aspects, uh, these characters, pardon, in the story. But the reason that God in His good providence has preserved the Scriptures for us, particularly these gospel accounts, is so that we might be better acquainted with Christ, with Jesus. We see how He interacts with the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter, with the friends of the deaf and nearly mute man, and with the man himself. What we see in the lives of these people, the Syrophoenician woman and the gentleman who is deaf and nearly mute, is that their faith in God, namely in the person of Christ, gave way, resulted in the power of God being displayed in their lives and in the lives of those that they cared about. So if we take that and apply it to ourselves, 
our faith in Christ day in and day out gives way or results in the power of God being displayed in our lives and in the lives of those that we care about. So while we learn from the woman and we learn from her faith, we want to look more closely at Christ in order to worship Him. And while we learn from the deaf and mute man and from his friends, we want to see Christ all the more clearly. Because it's looking at Him that our faith is increased. And when our faith is increased and appropriated or exercised, God's power is more evident in our lives. So as we look at the second half of Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, we'll walk through to the end of the chapter. I've split it into five points that we will look at together. The first point is persistence in verses 24 through 26, the persistence of this Syrophoenician woman. Point two, priority. Verses 27 to 28, the priority of the gospel for the Jews, what Jesus calls children. Point three, power from verses 29 and 30, as well as verse 34, crossing over into the second miracle here in the passage. Power, and also point four, pity. 31 through 34, we see the pity and compassion of Christ on this man. And finally, 35 to 37, providence. The title of the sermon, He Has Done All Things Well. The providence of God is good. It's good for us all. Jesus got up and went away from there into the region of Tyre. He goes outside a region that was predominantly Jewish, and he enters into a house, verse 24, and he wanted no one to know of it. Again, we've seen this time and again from Jesus. He's attempting to get away from the crowds. He's attempting to spend time with his disciples, with his heavenly Father. But again, as we've seen previously, the attempt proves unsuccessful. If you wanted to argue that there is one predominant thing that Jesus is unsuccessful at, it is getting away from the crowds. But after hearing of him, so they heard that he was in the area, specifically this woman, verse 25, the woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, immediately came and fell at his feet. Now, Mark calls it an unclean spirit. Matthew's account is very pointed. It says that the, Matthew notes that the little girl was cruelly demon-possessed. Right? There, there is a viciousness to what the demon is doing to this girl, which helps us understand the persistence of the mom. She is gut-wrenched by what's happening to her daughter. And so she comes and she falls at the feet of Jesus. Remember, she's an outsider. We're getting there, but it's helpful to to note that here. She is an absolute outsider, but she's heard about this man. She's heard about his power to heal. She's no doubt heard about the authority in his teaching. And him being a Jew, her 
being anything but a Jew from the Syrophoenician race, a Gentile or a Greek, she came to Jesus, she fell at his feet, and verse 26, she kept asking Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. She kept asking. She didn't come and throw it out there as a possibility, a once and done. Maybe he'll do it, maybe he won't. Included in the original language here is she asked, and she asked, and she asked, and she asked, and she kept on asking. She wanted help. She needed help. And there was something in her, faith, that gave her the confidence that Jesus was what she needed. That Jesus could supply what she needed, namely casting the demon out of her daughter. Notice what we don't see, and that's an answer from Jesus. In fact, again, leaning on Matthew's account here, Matthew notes that Jesus did not answer her. Matthew 15, 23, he did not answer her a word, Matthew says. That's hard for us to believe. I'm arguing that he is the most merciful man that has ever lived. And he is not responding to this persistent woman who has a daughter in great and grave need. Why didn't he answer her? Was it because of her lack of asking? Not a chance. I just said she kept asking and kept asking and kept asking. So why was he not answering? Did she lack neediness? Was Jesus holding back because her need hadn't risen to a certain degree or level? No way. She was, she was terribly needy. And she expressed that need. Or maybe she was sufficiently unaware of her need. Oh, hey, we, we can see by her actions and by her persistence, she is overwhelmingly aware of the need that she has. Did she lack earnestness? Not a chance. She's intensely earnest. She kept asking. Did I mention that? She kept asking. Was she wanting in faith? No, she didn't lack faith. Her faith, to the contrary, was impressive to Jesus, who goes on momentarily here to heal her daughter because of that faith. And again, Matthew 15, 28 says, O woman, your faith is great. So she didn't lack faith, which was resulting in Jesus not responding or answering her not a word. But her plea was desperate. Again, Matthew's account, Lord, help me, she says. Which is very, very similar to when, Je when Peter jumps out of the boat walking to Jesus. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, begins sinking. Do you remember what Peter said? Lord, save me. That's almost exactly what this lady says here. What this Syrophoenician woman says to Jesus. Lord, help me. She had no hope in anything other than Jesus. And so she comes and she presents this persistent plea to Jesus to cast the demon 
out of her daughter. And Jesus did not answer her request. He did respond to her, which happens in verse 27. But He responds by revealing that there is a priority in His ministry, and she is not included in that priority. Which again, it sounds odd for us to even suggest such a thing. But we have Jesus' words here quoted for us. Look at what He says. Jesus was saying to her, again, or, or maybe not again, but let's feel the importance of the context of what's going on here. This woman is desperate. She has asked Jesus to help her by casting the demon out of her daughter that has cruelly or that is cruelly affecting her. And Jesus says, let the children be satisfied first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus said, you're a dog and you're not my priority. That's difficult for us. We don't live in this day and time where the story is being recorded. But we do have the Scriptures, and we can understand what's going on here, at least at some level. The fact that Jesus is having a conversation with her is shocking. He isn't demeaning her in a way that we read it. In fact, in, in the original Greek, there are two words for dogs. There are the wild dogs that roam the night, and then there are lap dogs that some people would have inside their compounds. And Jesus uses literally little dog is the way that it would be translated, but that's the one that Jesus is using here. He's not throwing an insult at the lady who is in a desperate situation, but it's shocking that he would be talking to her at all. Because the Pharisees, the, the Jewish religious elite, were absolutely against talking to anyone who wasn't a Jew, but especially a woman who wasn't a Jew. So much so that there was a sect of Pharisees that were referred to as the bruised and bleeding crew. Do you know why they were bruised and bleeding? And it was a sign of pride for them. Because if there was a woman anywhere around, they would cover their eyes but continue walking. They ended up bruised and bleeding because they would run into stuff in an attempt to guard their eyes from anything unclean, non-Jew, non-male. But here's Jesus, a Jew of all Jews, a male and he's conversing with her. He was sent, he says, only to the lost sheep of Israel. Let the children be satisfied first. This is an issue of priority, not exclusivity of one while leaving the other aside. It was a priority of his children, a priority of the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as 
the way Matthew records it. But this priority is not because God does not care about anyone but Israel. It's not because God does not care about Gentiles. Right? We know from, from the very beginning when God established a covenant with Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It was God's intent in the very beginning for the gospel to spread far and wide and to not just be exclusively for Jews. In fact, Isaiah 49.6 says it as well. It's, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of, tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Here's God saying to Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, in eternity past, 600 years before Jesus shows up on earth, it's too small of a thing for you just to save the Jews. I'm going to make you a light to the whole world so that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. Or Psalm 67, God be gracious to us and bless us and Cause His face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all nations, not just the Holy Land. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you, the psalmist writes. Let the nations, all the nations be glad and sing for joy. And then after Jesus came and lived and died, was raised again before he ascended on high, he said, you, to his apostles, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. It was God's plan from the beginning. He tells his son that plan in eternity past, and Jesus comes and fulfills and accomplishes that plan. So, what Jesus says here to the Syrophoenician woman, let the children be satisfied first, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, is not in any way revealing that God doesn't care about anyone but Israel. It's not because God doesn't care about Gentiles or Greeks or non-Jews. It's not because Jesus is now in a Gentile territory and he somehow lacks ability to perform his miraculous deeds there. He's not affected by anything outside of himself. He can go here, go there. He is the unchanging God. His power isn't strapped because he has gone outside of a predominantly Jewish area. He's not responding to her because of a lack of compassion in himself or a lack of pity for the woman's plight or her daughter. Nothing compares. Nothing compares to the compassion that Jesus has on the needy. He doesn't respond in that way because he just doesn't want to be bothered or because he really did intend to, break, to take a break and she has interrupted that break. His life, as we've noticed already, is marked by constant interruptions that he welcomes again and again. In, in fact, his whole coming to earth was an interruption of perfect bliss and eternal infinite glory that he stooped out of in order to be robed in flesh like ours. He doesn't respond in this way because there is insufficient bread to feed the children and the dogs. 
He doesn't say, let the children eat first, or I've come for the house of Israel only, because there isn't enough bread to go around. There's enough grace to go around. What we've just watched in the previous weeks, the, pre- the earlier chapters here, that in Christ there's plentiful supply. So much so that He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and there were 12 baskets left over. There are plenty of crumbs, we might say. He doesn't respond to her in the way that He does because she asked in an improper manner or because she lacked formality. Jesus doesn't appear on the pages of the Scriptures to be concerned with that at all. In fact, he goes on to say that great is your faith. We know from Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But even there, the apostle Paul says it's for the Jew first and also for the Greek or the Gentile. But here, when, when Jesus is talking to the Syrophoenician woman, He had not yet broken down that dividing wall. Again, the apostle tells us about those specifics in Ephesians chapter 2. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. But here in Mark 7, it's not yet torn down because Christ has not yet died. The court curtain was torn in two and Christ died. Gentiles are still on the outside here in Mark chapter 7. There's a danger of us reading this and reading ourselves into the story in some manner and thinking that we would be on the outside and that we need to be scrounging around looking for crumbs. But you, me, we are not on the outside anymore. There's no one on the outside. Christ stands with arms wide welcoming all sinners to come to Him. You are eligible for communion with God Himself. You are, if you're in Christ, not just in God's family, you are God's family. Once non-Jews were outside, separated, wandering, lost, without hope, but now Jew and Gentile alike are made partakers of the heavenly calling, partakers of the heavenly grace. We should note here that We are not, just like the Jews of old were not, we in our day are not born into God's family. Not even if your parents are in Christ, young people. Even if your parents are in Christ, you're not born into God's family. If your parents are in Christ, you are blessed indeed, immeasurably. You might say it this way, you're on the back porch, the screened-in back porch of the house. You're not wandering the pagan streets if you're born into a Christian family. But in the same way that you're not born into the pagan streets, you're not born into the living room either. The new covenant works by divine grace being granted through regeneration of the Holy Spirit, not familial connection or man-made covenantal connections. The priority of Jesus here was the Jews, was 
the Jews. Do you know who his priority is now? The lost. The priority of Christ is all who are lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're not in Christ this morning, you qualify for this kind of salvation by this man. The woman was persistent. The priority of Jesus was on the children or the house of Israel. The power of Jesus was displayed. Verse 29, Jesus said to her, Because of this answer, the answer is recorded in verse 28, in which she's responding to him saying, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Notice her humility. She's not arguing with you. You are absolutely right. I am a dog. I do not deserve it. I'm not attempting to claim it. But even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumb. She knows a little dabble do. She's convinced that one drop of the blood of the eternal Christ is enough to forgive the sins of the whole world. She has faith. And he said, because of this answer, because of your response, because of these words that you say, Go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. She went home, believing him, and she found the child lying on the bed, the demon, the demon having left. His power, we, we've seen it time and again, is effortless. He possesses supreme might. Look at what he says here in the second half of verse 29. Try, try to think about this chronologically. Right? Try to put details and meat and flesh on what's happening here. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When? When did the demon go out? Best answer I have is yes. It went out effortlessly immediately, wonderfully. Or how? How did it go out? Same answer. Yes, it did. It went out, and it went out effortlessly and immediately and wonderfully. Christ's power, effortless, supreme might. When he thinks, it's done. It may even be quicker than that. It might be as Jesus thinks, so it is done. I said try to think about it chronologically. We can't. He exists. God exists outside of time. He's created time for our benefit. His power is displayed in the second story. If you look ahead to verse 34, Jesus, looking up with a deep sigh, said, Be opened. The power is in the word of Christ. He speaks, and it happens. He thinks, and it's done. As he thinks, 
it is accomplished. Just like in so many of the miraculous works that are noted in the gospel that we've looked at previously, along with the power of Christ and this effortless supreme might that is displayed, we see this unmatched pity and compassion. We don't typically put those things together, right? We, we would think of someone being one or the other. But here's Jesus who has both unmatched compassion and pity and supreme might and power. Again, verse 31, this is transitioning from the Syrophoenician woman to the deaf and mute man. Jesus went out from the region of Tyre. He came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Does the region of Decapolis ring a bell? Do you remember the the crazed demoniac living among the tombs, the man who couldn't be bound? Do you remember what Jesus said to him when he wanted to go with Jesus and get on the boat and and spend more time with him? Jesus said to him, go home to your people. This is chapter 5, verses 19 through 20 of Mark. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he did. He went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, this region of ten cities. He began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Because he went and told the locals what had happened, they have heard from this formerly crazed demoniac who was possessed by 2,000 demons that were sent into the swine who ran into the sea. So they are now completely convinced of Jesus' ability to help and to heal. They've seen the evidence. They've seen this man upright and clothed and now telling them about this Messiah, this Savior. Jesus has healed the one who lived among the tombs who could not be bound. Surely he could. Surely he would also heal this man who is deaf and speaks with difficulty. And so they bring him, verse 32, they brought to Jesus one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. He was probably not born deaf. He probably lost his hearing as a result of illness. And so he did have some ability to speak, but it was with noted difficulty. And they not only brought him to Jesus, but they implored Jesus to lay his hand on him. They came with confidence. All you got to do is touch him. Our hope is in you. Jesus. Will you help him? They implored him. Are you imploring him for anything? Are you running to Christ, begging him for mercy to act in this person's life or that situation or in your own heart? They implored him because their hope was in him. Their faith was in him based on the testimony of one whose life had been changed. And Jesus responds. This is really a fascinating interaction to witness with Jesus and this man. Note how the interaction takes place. So, a group of friends or acquaintances bring the man who is sick, the man who's deaf and spoke with difficulty to Jesus. The first thing Jesus does, verse 33, takes him aside from the crowd. 
the, all of the social stigmas that would have been associated with this man for his life. And Jesus immediately pulls him away. He doesn't draw any unnecessary attention to him. He pulls him aside and gives him full attention. The man has probably only ever received negative attention. And Jesus pulls him aside, verse 33, aside from the crowd by himself. This kind of intimacy with Jesus is available to each individual. It's available to you. Communion with Christ, this kind of close communion is available to each one of us. Jesus proceeds, again, verse 33, to put his fingers into his ears. He's drawing attention. There's no way to communicate with him at this point, with, with the man. Jesus puts his fingers into his ears, likely drawing specific attention to the, the place or the part that's being affected. The, the touch of Christ marked with pity initially and power eventually. He pulls him aside, touches his ears, spitting, touched his tongue with the saliva, identifying again the location of the miracle with his healing touch. In verse 34, Jesus looks up to heaven with a deep sigh. I mean, you, you can feel the compassion in Jesus. This poor man. Oh, God, help. He looks up acknowledging who he is dependent on. He is God in the flesh, and he's dependent on his Father for everything, showing us where and on whom to cast our cares. And Jesus said to the man, Ephaphatha, or literally, be opened. Jesus took him aside, put his fingers in his ears, touched his tongue, looked up to heaven, spoke the word, and the man is healed. pity and power of Jesus. And verse 35 tells us, success, his ears were opened. And not only that, but the impediment of his tongue was removed. He was loosed at the mouth, and he began speaking plainly. That is, he spoke correctly and accurately, there was no therapy needed when, when Christ has healed people previously. We noted there, there was no physical therapy needed to learn how to walk again. It, there's instant healing, mature healing here. He doesn't have to go through speech therapy to learn how to say certain words. He's been healed completely by Christ. He began speaking plainly. And Jesus, as a result, gives them orders. All those who are around, not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They just couldn't help themselves. I mean, the reason they show up and benefit from this miraculous healing is because they've been told what Jesus did. 
They heard from the Gerasene demoniac. We should note that these orders from Jesus not to tell anyone, that it was a temporary prohibition earlier, uh, only. We have seen earlier this same kind of thing from Jesus. He knew that his time had not yet come. But this prohibition has been completely lifted now. So when you have opportunities to share about the power of Christ in your life or to share about the grace of God that is available to you, don't go to this verse and say, it looks like Jesus is giving me orders not to tell anybody. (laughs) That was a temporary prohibition, and it does not apply now. They were utterly astonished, amazed. And this is remarkable. They went based on the testimony of one whose life had been altered, and they had seen that. They knew it to be true. They had faith that, that Jesus could help them, or they would have never gone. And still, when it happens, they are utterly astonished. Maybe it's the degree, because he did speak plainly. He didn't just hear and then have to learn to, to speak properly. They are utterly astonished. They are amazed. What a great challenge for us to continue to be amazed with the great things God has done. Look what they said as a result of their utter astonishment. He has done all things well. Jesus Christ has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. There is nothing that he hasn't done well. His providence, here this last point, I didn't mention it as we came to it, but the providence of God who orchestrates all things for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Their utter astonishment, their worship of him was closely connected to him doing all things well. Now, I've alluded to it at some level as we've walked through the passage, but in closing, I want to draw specific attention to what's happening here in the life of Jesus in accomplishing these physical healings. Also, what's being put on display for us is the spiritual healing being portrayed. We are born with a spiritual deafness. We are born spiritually dumb or mute. Psalm 135, the idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them, everyone who does not trust in the one true and living God, who is not committed to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, will be like these idols. You may have a mouth, but you're not speaking the things of God. You may have eyes, but you're not seeing God for who He really is. You may have ears, but you're not hearing the comfort and forgiveness that Christ alone can provide. Or again, the prophet Isaiah chapter 42, they will be turned back and be utterly put to shame who trust in idols, who say to molten images, you are our gods. Hear, he says, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant or so deaf as my messenger whom I send. 
Who is so blind that he is at peace with me, or so blind as the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but none hears. The prophets of old warned against this. So as Jesus is dealing with these people and accomplishing these physical miraculous deeds before the Pharisees and the religious elite, they're aware of these scriptures. And he's doing it before them in order to call them to repentance. As we read it, it it should call us to repentance. That we might have gospel salve rubbed on our eyes and in our ears. That we might see Christ for who he is. That we might hear the call to repent and believe. Son of man, Ezekiel 12. You live in the midst of the rebellious house, the prophet says. Who have eyes to see, but do not see, ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Which poses a question for us Is this you? Do you have eyes, but you don't see what Christ has done for you? You have ears, but you don't hear, and you don't respond. May God help us. To, like the Syrophoenician woman, be completely confident with faith that in Christ there is sufficient grace and salvation that even the crumbs will do. We don't deserve anything from Him, but we can still believe that He can save and He will. May we, like the Syrophoenician woman or the deaf and nearly mute man, not be consumed with the despair due to our sin, the effects of sin, but may we be overly consumed with the cross and the hope. The Syrophoenician woman had every reason in the world not to come to Jesus. Yet she was desperate. Oh, that God would help us feel that desperation. And that we would come trusting in the hope that is available through the cross of Christ. And also, may God help us to avoid discouragement when He is silent. He answered her not a word only explained why he wasn't answering her, because of her unworthiness. If God appears to be silent, it is a delay for our good, because he is good. He has done all things well, not just the healing, everything. And not only has he done all things well, He is doing all things well. Not only has He done all things well, and He is doing all things well, He will do all things well. So we can hope fully and completely in Him. We can trust Him. We don't have to be overwhelmed, even if it appears that He's silent. We can have confidence in Him that there is enough grace in Him for even us. May God help us to respond to Jesus, to God in Christ, recognizing that He has done, 
He is doing and he will do all things well. And we as his people are the beneficiaries of that, the direct beneficiaries of that. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. We do ask now that you'll take the truth that is contained in it and press it into the crevices of our heart and our being that will, it will affect us both now and for eternity's sake. God, will you grant repentance and faith to those who are far off? Will you grant spiritual sight and spiritual healing to those who do not know you? And God, will you remind us as your children that you are good and that you do good and that you've done all things well, that you have even made the spiritually deaf to hear and the spiritually mute to speak. And God, will you help us to be faithful in speaking those things which are true about you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.